about to illustrate the power of the Bible reading because my entire message has now been redirected by my reading today. And I've had two weeks to ponder a lot of beautiful, exciting things, and I'm so excited about the future of the Lord's church. I'm so anticipating what's coming. But I was reading, and so I'm going to, we'll begin in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2. And I think when we, we begin, I'd like again for us just to read it out loud, and then I can make a couple comments afterwards, because I do want to be done by 11.30 for everybody. And I know we've got holiday, and I want us to uh, do communion. All of this is leading to communion, but we'll do communion as the way we bring ourselves to this word, this message that is not mine. It's in Scripture, but it is uh, timely for the church. The message simply is this, that God is judging his church in order to, for the church not to be judged with the world. God is coming to bring us into correction into faith, into hope, into the fear of God, into the love of God, into the mercies of our Lord Jesus, so that we can escape what comes against the earth and the rebellion and the wickedness of man. The two are about to be separated, but he cannot separate us until he separates from us what's of the world that's in us. And I'm not going to, I would never even bring a message because I never do a message if, I, if it has anything that sounds like correction if I'm thinking about anyone in the congregation because my soul will go wrong and I'll speak in a way that's toward, toward correcting something I'm trying to do. And I've learned long ago that my correcting anybody is like a brain surgeon with a sledgehammer. Does not, is not pretty when I'm done. So I leave that to the Holy Spirit and the, and the Scripture. But today I got impacted and I have to be honest I'm here under the fear of God just to to let the word of the Lord come out for the sake of our freedom to come into the new place you know we are in a precarious time there are millions of people all of my children are facing the fact that they are they, you know that in all of that generation at 50 and under that abortion has been taken away and for the culture I mean, we can celebrate as believers because we understand the, the sanctity of life and we've, we see the value of that. But the potential of what this is is not... What happened was many rulings have come to regard the Constitution as, as a document which the, the, our country must submit to in even our elected leaders and judicial leaders and so forth. That's a huge win for the Constitution. But, but we're at a point... Yeah, yeah. It's a huge win. But there are, we're also in a culture that doesn't believe in it. And a large, large portion of it, a large part of it, does not believe in it. So at these moments in time, these is where, where we either go forward in an American revolution of holiness unto the Lord and conviction and submission and dealing with my own heart, or we go into a French revolution where we overthrow and we take down and we burn it to the ground. And so we're in this conflict. I want to pray for the peace of America tomorrow. I want to ask the Lord to have mercy. And I want to ask the Lord to come into my heart to give me uh, great understanding. Great understanding. Because without the awakening of this generation that has never known anything but that as a right, 
to come under and a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. The opportunity is, we have to understand this, it's in the Bible, that the strength of death, or the sting of death is sin. But the strength of sin is the law. So when a law is put in place, if its hearts do not respond to the, to the judge and lawgiver, Jesus Christ, the law will invoke the sin and often it will enrage the sin, and the people, of, the people will enrage in, with that sin, and you'll have an overwhelming uh, mob mentality. Happened to the book of Acts over and over again. We've read it through this last month. It can happen to the United States of America. Uh, so I've been walking in this pondering, and, and I, see the, I see so much coming, but I see this moment of time. For me, I'm humbling myself. I'm humbling myself more than ever. I'm asking God for his mercy to reveal his son to this United States of America so we could again uh, believe. We could believe. We could believe in the testimony God has given of his son. And we could submit to this glorious resurrected king who is the high priest of our confession, who, who became sin for us in total perfect submission to the Father so that all the sin of all time could be placed upon him. And then he was judged by the Father, so that all of the repercussions and the wrath of God could be put and poured out upon him. He ex received the, cur the condemnation and all the punishment that would ever be uh, afflicted to uh, any of us who would be left forever under that condemnation. It was, it was, it was ended. And then he took the curse, because the curse is everyone on the tree, and he absorbed it until it was exhausted. And then after all that, God the Father looked upon his son who was in the abyss. He did not die death when he died on the cross. He died death when he became sin on the cross, and the light went off, and he was forsaken by God. And God had to say, from now on, you're not my son. You are my son, but you're not a sacrifice for the sin of mankind, the rebellion of man, the willingness of man. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to take it out. We're going to put it all until it's exhausted so that I can be just and a judge. And so he does, and he calls him out of the abyss. You are my son. Today I've begotten you. And Jesus after crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now he hears the Father say, you are my son. He comes out of the abyss and he says, Father, to you I commit my spirit. And he dies the second time. We all know that. God said to, to Adam and Eve, if you, day you eat of the tree, you're going to die. They ate the tree and lived 900 more years. But they did die. They died the spiritual death. And Jesus, the spiritual death was far more intense than the physical cross. And, and now he's raised, he's risen, he's ascended, and his faith, his faith was in that the Father would raise him from the dead. The Father was able to pull him out of death. That's why he is our faith, and our faith is his faith. And he anticipated, I don't want to go here. But if this is the only way we can conclude what we already had decided before the foundation of the world, I'm ready. And when, when the Father called him forth and said, You are my son today, I've begotten you. He came, a life-giving spirit, a new creation. Everything had been placed and put apart, and all sin had been removed, and all 
forgiveness had been extended and all needed to be was preached and proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And all our lives are the same. Where you are dead today, you will come alive. There is no life without death and there is no glory without submission and coming into the full identity with Jesus Christ. But beloved, you have been already adapted to that journey. What happened on Mount Moriah, which was where Isaac laid on a, on a bed of an altar to be slaughtered by his father, whose father was willing to, to do this, not because he believed that God was a weird God that wanted to give you a kid and then kill your kid, but he understood that if this is what God asked me, he has to raise him from the dead. Because God doesn't undo what he said by what, he asked, what he's asking me to do. So I'm expecting what I'm going to do won't end with, with ashes, but out of the ashes will come my son. Now, what we, we witnessed is Isaac, now Jesus, the son, the son, saying, Father, I believe, I believe, the man, the son of man, I believe, when you slay me, you'll raise me. And that faith is the faith we all share. That's why it doesn't matter where you are today. Where God is, is where you are. And you will be all God called you to be. And this is in a moment God is ripping out anything that would hinder our agreement with who he is and what he's doing. Oh, he's going to save thousands, but he's got to save us first from unbelief, from worldliness. And not worldliness that we view by how people dress or what they talk, but the worldliness of the love of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. God is doing that. So, Heavenly Father, I am not the one to say these words, and I have no place that I hold them. All that my life is is by the grace of the Lord Jesus. I return to you every day. I would not even dare say these words. would not want to say them. But you want to say something because we're about to do communion. The very life force of the death of Christ is found in the body and the blood. And yet we want to come and receive healing. And we want to come out of the, the judgments that are resting upon the world today. So we ask you for grace and ask you for mercy. And we ask you for just allowing your word to just speak. And the spirit of God just to come with his authority to brood. And the word of God to become flesh in our midst and then life to be released as the Christ is seen, and we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus, and that we would escape this perverse and crooked generations. We would come out and flee from the wrath to come, and we would come running into the haven of blessing and provision and protection and eternal life that is not even conquerable, that the conspiracies of man have no say in the sovereignty of God in what he is doing to bring forth a perfected, matured church. So, Lord, we wield. We ask for help. We ask for help to hear and to receive in Jesus' name. Amen. So stand with me. Let's read Second Chronicles now that I bummed your day out. But I didn't bum your day out because the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God is how we depart from evil. The fear of God is where God begins to show up and be God. So let's read together chapter 1, two chapters. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that you, as you are, partakers of the sufferings, so also will you be partakers of the consolation. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we have the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. You also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given to many persons on our behalf for the gift granted us through the many. For our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly towards you. For we are not willing, that, not writing any other things to you than what you read on or understand, and how I trust will understand even to the end as also you understood us in part, that we are your boast as you are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. And in this confidence, I intended to come to you before that you might have a second benefit, to pass by way of you to Macedonia, to come again from Macedonia to you, and to be helped by you on my way to Judea. Therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly, or the things I plan, do I plan according to the flesh? That we, with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no. But as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes and amen, amen to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also sealed us as a witness. I also, whoever, moreover, I, yes, he has sealed us with, I'm sorry, Barb, that's me who has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Moreover, I call God as a witness against my soul that to spare you I came no more to Corinth, not that we have dominion over your faith, but as fellow workers for your joy, for by faith you all stand. You may be seated. We'll come up to chapter 2 in a moment. I'm reading this, 
and I wouldn't be reading it, but we had set the we set this day. And I'm reading and I'm being very 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 touched. First off, tribulation and all those is pressure. Anybody under pressure right now? That's what tribulation is. Pressure in this state. Consolation is comfort. The calling alongside, like the comforter, the paracletos. So in pressure, comfort comes by the Holy Spirit. Something beyond the circumstance of pressure, something from within begins to hold us. And Paul is saying, the more we receive comfort, the more we can give that comfort to others. And we're all in this pressure, but we're all going to have the consolation or the comfort and the strength. But we don't want you to know that you know, we're Superman. We were in Asia, and we wanted to die. We just wanted to give up. We didn't want to live anymore. We wanted to give up our zao, Z-A-O, not the zoe. We wanted to give up our life. We just wanted to, we were under so much pressure. But actually, God had placed a sentence of death in us. We were living in a, with a sentence of death so that we wouldn't trust ourselves, but God, because he raises the dead. And he did. And indeed, he does. And we expect him to do it again. And your prayers, all of your prayers, participated so that this could actually become our testimony. We came out of this conflict, and we've been comforted, and we've been given this place. So we're writing to you. You understand these truths. We want you to hold these truths, not lose these truths. Now, I had written, and we read this last week, I was going to come by you on the first leg of my journey, but... I didn't. So what am, what's happening? Am I just a yes, yes, no, no, say whatever I need to say, get back, get to? No, it wasn't that. I had to, I just, and I'm reading and I'm going, Lord, we're going to read 1 Corinthians 5 today because that's the event that Paul addresses in the first book that now he's referring to. But we didn't even get to the full port. You just said, just to spare you. So I read the second chapter, and I won't make you read it, but if you allow me, I'll, I'll read it out loud. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. He said, But I determined within myself that I would not come again to you in sorrow. Now, this is a father. Father, Apostle Paul. I don't want to... If I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad? But the one who made, who's made sorrowful by me. This will be a big theme through the entire book this week, next two weeks. And I wrote to you the very thing, lest when I came I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. But if anyone has caused me grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe. This punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man. So that on the contrary, you ought to rather forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. For to this end, I also wrote that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. 
For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Furthermore, when I came to Troas, well, I'll pause there. So Paul is now calling on the people to complete what had been initiated in chapter 5. So we can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. By this time, I'm reading chapter 5 because it was in our reading. And by the time I finish chapter 5, the Lord stops me and says, this is what I want you to tell my beloved church because I am, I am going to liberate my church from captivities that are inside. And I'm going to deliver them from the things that are compromising and, and stopping them. And it's not, I have, I've been a believer for 46 years, so I know one thing about me. I can't do the Bible. You tell me, don't eat pork, all I want is bacon. I understand that Scripture will not bring life as a law. It brings me to the one who is life, Jesus Christ. And when I come to him in humility of my need, then he can redeem me out of the complexity that my life has gotten into. And I don't know about anybody that lives on this planet in America that isn't inside a massive amount of complexities, convoluted things. So furthermore, no, chapter, chapter 5, 1 Corinthians, verse 1. Thank you. So this is Paul's statement. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And such sexual immorality that it's not even named among the Gentiles. That is, a man has his father's wife. Sexual immorality is the Greek word for fornication. And it means all forms of, of uh, sex outside of marriage is where we get the word pornography from. So in this case, it's this expression of a son said, I want dad, I want your wife, and somehow they agreed upon it. It's not strange. In Jesus' day, uh, Herod took Herodian, who is his brother's wife, to be his wife. And John the Baptist pointed it out and lost his head. So things like that are not uncommon. But he's on, he says, but you are puffed up. This is this posture. And have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For indeed, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged, as though I were present, him who has so done this deed. I am continuing to see that in the in the, what the maturity of the church is going to begin to look like, we will, the ruling, reigning church on the earth, calling things into the order of Jesus Christ, calling his intercession over completion, perfection, there will be an awareness, especially for those that are aging in your days, and you're going, what's purpose? Did I miss my moment? No, you've been brought into the kingdom for this moment. Because there is, there is the ability and humility to agree with Jesus and what he's completing and begin to intercede that that completion comes into fruition and agree with God and not look at what we see but what we hear and declare what he's saying and we start holding a whole nother narrative. Not the one that's on the broadcast, the one that's coming from heaven. And it begins to sound and change the atmosphere. And so Paul is demonstrating this. I'm not present with you, but what I've heard, I've already dealt with. 
He said, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, so that's, I won't unpack that today. With the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you are truly are unleavened, for indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice, hatred, wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Second time, now the second chapter, again, this posture of the heart. So, Paul is now back to chapter 2. We'll come back. We won't, don't keep, we'll go to verse 9 in a second. But Paul is now writing the second time and saying, we, this, this, this has taken place and this, this one now needs to be restored. Needs to be restored. He needs to be reaffirmed. There needs to be love and we can't hold this kind of conflict and we know the devil, we're not ignorant of his devices. He uses unforgiveness and judgment and accusation to control and, 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 create havoc and division. So we're going to release and bring love and restoration. So now then Paul does something really, really strange, and you've probably heard this this week in your reading. I wrote to you in my epistle, that was the first one, not to keep company with, um, with sexually immoral people. Yet, I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world, or with the covetous or extortioners, or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's the world. But now I have written to you to not keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral, or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. So, I'm reading this, and I'm realizing the Lord saying, my truth and my standard remains. And it is until men accept my truth and standard in my house, there can be no deliverance from the things that they're being kept captive by. So I'm going, Lord, what does that mean? He says, well, pressure is my way of finding out what's inside of you and helping you see where you are. Are you living in pride? Are you living in humility? Do you respond to God asking for help or do you blame others and cast back? It just, it's a pressure point. And when you cry out, there's this a comfort mechanism that I spirit brings. So in First uh, Peter chapter 3, Two more verses, and then we'll do communion, and I'll send you home. But I believe the Lord will go with you in a great way. But in 1 Peter chapter 3, I gave you those verses um, 4, chapter 4, verse 12. And the reason I'm saying this is that I believe there's pressure coming on the church. But it's not the pressure that's about to come on the world. 
And I believe the world is not overtaking the church, and I believe all the conspiracies of men, heaven is having a laughing party, and they're being held in derision, and they're about to be in a lot of ways judged radically. But it has to start at the church. Our hearts have to be returned to the Lord. And that's a posture that you don't know until God shows you. That's why Psalm 139 was my psalm I read. Look, look in my heart. Look into my anxious thoughts in my anxious heart and, and, and test me. Put me through something so I can see what I'm in. Who's in me? I don't know what's in me unless I can see it by something that's pressurizing what's in me to come out. Look, know my thoughts, my imaginations. Tell, I want to know. And then lead me out of wickedness into the way of righteousness, into the way of the Lord. So Peter, this is the age Peter. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. You remember Peter? He told the Lord, I'll never deny you. Everybody else may deny you, but not me. And Jesus said, oh, I can almost hear his heart say, I wish you wouldn't have said that. But since you did, here's your way to discover who you are. You'll deny me three times before the rooster crows. And Jesus had prophesied in John 16. He said, I am about... I'm going, to be, I'm going to be struck and everyone's going to scatter to themselves. But I'm never alone because I always do what the Father pleases. So he had a, had a recognition of going, where he was going and how he would get there. And, the, and when it says scatter, it means everybody turns, on, turns into who they are. You turn into who you are. And that's what Peter's saying. These trials, I found out who I was. I'm not the great man that I thought I was because I had the great privileges to be with the Lord in so many incredible moments. I was just the fearful fisherman that knew how to pressure, push myself into the future, but I couldn't hold myself when the pressure came on. I learned that. So, beloved, don't think it's strange, the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. Even though Christ was the Son, he learned obedience through the things he went through. But that his, when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. For if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the Spirit of glory and God rests upon you. On their part, he's blaspheming. But on your part, he's glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer. Or as a busybody in other people's matters. See, there are sufferings that come upon us by our consequences of our choices. And choices that we are being called out of because of our faith in Jesus. So that's the suffering we're trying to avoid. The suffering for identification with the Lord Jesus. And what pressure comes to try to extrapolate or take that confession from us. And confidence in him. And that's the one that we're supposed to rejoice in. He says, yet if anyone suffers as a... Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? If the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God Commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. In the last days, we will be called to do good in ways we had never dreamed of being asked to do. 
because that is one way we, we commit ourselves back to the Lord's decision by doing good when evil is present. Just as when we commit ourselves back to the Lord instead of speaking evil, we commit ourselves by blessing, we engage into this upward call of Christ. So now we can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and we'll do communion. Now I'm sorry, I'm just sitting here minding my own business, enjoying my Bible reading. I have a really encouraging message about excitement that's coming. I have more hope in my heart about the living church of Jesus Christ than I've ever in my lifetime. I, I am anticipating change. But I also understand that in my heart, I'm discovering how far away from the Lord I am in my own self-righteousness, in my own uh, ignoring of truths. I wouldn't have read any of these scriptures. These aren't the scriptures you read before going to church. But I read them because they were my assigned reading, and then the Lord's Spirit came and said, I want to deal with something. There is a judgment that's entering to the church that the church can get out of through communion. And here it is. It's the simplest, beautiful gift ever given to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and I will begin in verse, uh, verse excuse me, chapter 11, and I'll begin in verse 17. And I really wish you could hear our English uh, narrator in uh, NIV. If you've got the Bible app, you, you will, because he, he gets a, a whole different. He says, now, in the giving of these instructions, I do not praise you. Since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. Imagine the possibility that we can come together for the worse. For, well, first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. For there must be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper, that was a primary practice of the, of the early church, to gather together for a meal and to honor the Lord in his supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of the others. And one is hungry and the other is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. Sounds like Dr. Seuss. Should I praise you in this? I do not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. So let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. This is the key. This is what's happening by the Spirit of God and with the living Word of God while we're talking. We're having a moment. And we're going, hmm, hmm, yeah. I, I, I recognize with that. I, as we used to say, I resemble those remarks. Uh, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, 
Many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. So that's phenomenal. See, I, why, why do I stand up every day and go, I, my, my whole, I get born again every single day. I read the Bible now because I'm not reading topics. I'm reading the scripture, and the whole scripture is taking me down because it's designed to get after my soul and my spirit, my thoughts, my intentions, and bring me to Jesus Christ, my Savior. Let him be my Lord. Let him his forgiveness abound. When I begin to be overwhelmed by my sorrows, I say, but Lord, you took them all, and now I return to you and receive that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And I abandon those thoughts and habits and to turn toward you and receive the mercy that you give, and I'm grateful, and I need you, and I'll never save myself, but you've saved me. And then, oh boy, do you ever love the Bible? Do you ever love to pray? Because you're not living the American dream. You're living Christ in you. The hope of glory. The only hope of glory. The only hope. I am unbelieving for a third reformation. I believe that America has the opportunity to come and crawl upon the name of the Lord. But it will not be the government that will save us. It will be Christ, the King. And I'm expectant. But it starts with me. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Every idle word spoken, we will give an account for. Every action of our body, we will give an account for. The only account will be deleted from the account is everything we've been forgiven from that we announce to the Lord, that we come into contact with. Things we have to learn that we learn through pressure. We don't understand who we are until pressure comes. And it's, it's just as simple as that. There will, be, there will be, God gave me this simple vision, and I'll tell you real quick. There was a group, we were at the judgment seat of Christ, and I was standing there, and I was elated because I could feel the liberty of letting go, of trying to follow the Lord, because now I was complete, and here I was, and we would be judged by the work, by, by what I built my life with, gold, silver, uh, or wood, wood, hay, and stucco. And... All of a sudden, behind me, I heard a man. This was a, you're not in the judgment seat of Christ unless you're a believer and accepted in the beloved. But it doesn't mean that you don't bring things with you that could have been left behind. And doesn't mean that you don't build things on this planet that won't go through with you into the future. This is, that's what this is a blowtorch moment. And this man, under the presence and the recognition of this Christ seated, yells out, Do you mean I've got to bow my knee to a Jew? And I realized everything in me will come out of me. I will not hide anything. I will not be able to keep any prejudices or any of those things. And yet it will be the greatest thing that ever happens because that will be the final, that quick purification of the church that didn't get done while we walked the earth. So I was going, no, no, you don't understand. You don't understand. It is the best thing in the world. We can lay our lives down and release whatever. So he says, we judge ourselves, we not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we might not be condemned with the world. The judgment coming to the church is so that the church can escape the judgment that's coming to the earth. There are two distinct judgments. One is to deal with the wickedness of man and the rebellion of the earth and its its. Gross darkness that it's growing. I, it, could, it could be 
alleviated by a massive awakening and revival returning. I'm believing, praying, and expecting that. But it also could be by the catching away of the church. And the, and the judgment begin upon the planet and upon the people. I don't know. But here in communion, we practice. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. As together for you come for judgment. And the rest I'll set in order when I come. What I want to do, and I don't, I have no, I don't know where to go from here except that we receive communion. Beloved, I, I, I'm aware of every, every word in Scripture speaking to the negative of behavior is present in my flesh. I am not a man that's purified through making my own self clean. I recognize, left alone, my flesh will act out just as it ever acts. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm totally dependent on returning to the Lord every single day. I return to Him. I try to humble myself in His sight and under His mighty hand. I try to submit to the words of the Bible over me without trying to perform them from me. But I submit to them and I worship. And then I experience, I accept this forgiveness. You see, this body, let's just take that, the bread out for a second. That's a little tricky, but forget the bread. I don't understand. This is my prayer life. And it's, it's, changed, it's made my life so rich and so... So, so, so overwhelmed in, in recognition of this holy God that's coming and this glorious Savior that he gave us and the un impossibility to save ourselves by any behavior or any standard by which we want to judge ourselves. This body was broken. He kept himself without spot. He was uh, delivered up by the eternal spirit to bring his blood into the heavenly so that we could be accepted and be redeemed and live in eternal redemption, eternal inheritance. When we eat this body, we recognize that everything that has affected humanity from Adam to, to the last day has been dealt with upon Jesus. He carried our sicknesses. He bore our, our, our infirmities. He, he went and he walked in the, the weight of the wrath of God upon him. He's, he, he, we were the sheep gone astray, but he became the intercessor and bore the burden of all our iniquities upon himself. And he did that. No man can do that. So wherever you are today, it doesn't matter. We just need to return to the Lord. And the way we return to the Lord is we confess his righteousness, and when we need to, we confess our sin. We own our stuff. We don't disqualify it. We don't blame our wife, our husband, our father, our mother, our government for our behavior. We own our stuff. And the Lord says, that's all I need from you. Just return to me. I've got something better. I've got something so much better. I'm going to do something so much better. Just return to me. So, beloved, take a moment and just... Judge yourself. Examine yourself. Lord, I don't want to... I don't want to be condemned with the world. I, I don't believe the condemnation with the world is, is separation from heaven. I believe it's, it's like that pressure that I'm going to go through that I, I could have walked in a victorious posture, but instead I will be overwhelmed with it because I unprepared myself. <laughs>
to know you. I want to be free. I want to release everyone who sinned against me. I remit all the sins that are currently flowing around my life, against me, at me, from me, conflicts that I'm getting engaged in that aren't mine to be conflicted in. I, I release it all. I forgive. I, I release everyone. I ask your forgiveness for all of my pride and my own self-ability. I think I can do this. Let me do it. I'm going to do it. I will do it. Nobody else can do it. I've got to do it. Oh, I release that. Lord, we eat your body, the only sacrifice that mattered, the only obedience that counted for righteousness. We receive your righteousness in eating this, your bread. In Jesus' name. Go ahead, eat. You don't have to have dealt with everything because God is always ready to listen to the next thing he, he brings up. That's why his blood is sufficient and completely frees us from everything we're currently aware of and what we're not aware of. It makes us right and one. But Lord, we thank you for the blood. It's the remission of sin. It's your covenant. The entire new covenant is based on that you will put your laws in our mind, write them in our heart. You'll be our God. We're your people. Nobody tells each other what it means to know you because all of us will know you, the least of us, the greatest, because you will be merciful to our unrighteousness and sins, lawless deeds, you'll remember no more. So, Lord, in a way, today we drink the cup of forgiveness and the cup of forgetfulness. We drink of the cup of the remission of sin and the removing of its memory from shaming us or living us under wherever it's kept us captive. We drink because you freely gave us. Let's drink together. Thank you. Just for a moment, internalize everything we've ever done, ever will do, ever done to us, has been swallowed up in victory. We are led in triumph. We are no longer victims, and we're no longer slaves. We worship you, Jesus. This one act brings health, strength, and resurrection life. Receive his, receive his life. Tell him, I receive your life, Lord Jesus. I receive it. I receive your life, Lord Jesus. I receive your words. The Lord, as we go to this country, we go out to our celebrations, may they be joyful. We ask your forgiveness for this nation. And we ask your forgiveness for a generation that has enjoyed so much liberty but does not understand you. And we ask you to forgive us for having enjoyed so much liberty and no longer respect you in the way we conduct ourselves. We ask that you would extend your hand over the United States of America and keep it from terrorist plots, destructive motives, and actions of, hell, of, of, of anarchy that would want to erupt just because they who are wronged now want to make things right. We ask your forgiveness where we have spoken evil of anyone just because of the ignorance within them. We acknowledge that today we read the, the book of a man who was a terrorist, a murderer, and fought the faith. But when you called him out, you told everyone, let him go. 
He's my chosen vessel. He's going to do a work that I prepared for him before the time began. So, Lord, we do that again. We agree. Oh, God, let it be. We take off the burdens off of our elected officials, we, off of our judges, off of whoever, however. We say, God, we are not wanting them to be the Savior of this hour. We ask the living Jesus, step into the United States of America. Start with me. Convict me of my unwillfulness, my sinfulness, my unbelief. My, my self-righteousness. Convict me until I bow my knee and cry out, God, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy. Lord, let the church receive mercy. Let us receive mercy, we pray. Mercy. Mercy, for that is your desire. And we pray protection. And we pray conviction. And we pray an awakening. And we pray the returning. The returning. We pray for the returning. All who are called by your name, we release them out of every peril and place of captivity. All who have been created for your glory, we call them out of where they are captured in. And all whom you have uh, made and formed, we call them back to their place. Lord, where we have been selfish, where we have sought our own and only our own we ask your forgiveness where we have competed with each other where we have shamed one another we just ask your forgiveness we don't know how to be believers I don't I don't know how to be a pastor I don't know how to live unto you except to submit to what you say and then let the spirit convict me and then cry out for change and know it's impossible for change unless you do something that I can't myself do and then I cry out and thank you and all I have is you. Lord, you are enough. You are more than enough for the United States of America to bring about an awakening of the living body of Jesus Christ to come back alive. You are more than enough. Heal our land. Heal our land. Heal our land. But Lord, we ask you today, search us. Search our hearts. Know us. Try our anxious thoughts. And see and take us from the wicked ways where sorrow rules and idolatry follows. Instead, bring us into the way of everlasting life. We release everybody in the United States of America from the, the, the ability to be held captive by sins that they're committed because we won't remit them. We remit the sins of the United States of America so that men and women can come out from a lifestyle of destruction and come into a life of submission to Jesus Christ. Lord, we lift off the spirit of religion off of ourselves and one another. We are not a people that pride ourselves in being perfect and keeping things in order. We are a people that are in great need of an encounter every single day. And repentance to life, repentance to life, repentance to life. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come and bring us to this face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus Christ. That one we will have tomorrow, the one we will have the next day, the one we'll have the rest of this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.